0: All right, Revelation chapter eighteen. If you remember last week, we were studying Revelation chapter seventeen, and we were looking at the um, the great prostitute, if you will. Um, and we found out as we look back, one of the things that we have learned through Revelation, or I hope you've learned through it, is that there is a lot of Old Testament references that are used when writing revelation. And so whenever you're trying to interpret it and you're trying to understand it to the best of your ability, uh, one of the best um, ways to do that is to be able to go back to the Old Testament and find some of these same references. And one of the things that we learned is that, and I showed you Scripture after Scripture, but one of the things that was always referred to as a harlot or a prostitute in the Old Testament was false religion. Every time, no matter what book you go to, whenever they were looking at false gods and false religion of any way, uh, those prophets referred to it as a harlot or as a prostitute. And if you want to find out more about that, the uh, study from last week is online, so you can go back and and listen to that if you want to. But for the sake of time, just take my word for it tonight that whenever we look in chapter 17 at this um, great prostitute, we are looking at a false religion that is going to take place during this time. And we saw that it is basically going to be a one-world religion, that all of the nations of the world are going to come together and they're going to be joined together in this religion. We also learned last week that um, uh, we're seeing a lot of that take place right now. I think it was Tara and even Tammy, some others sent me some links after we made mention of it that um, there is a a one-world religion foundation and a headquarters that has already been built. Where was that built at? Yeah, it's somewhere in the Middle East, somewhere around Iraq, I believe, is somewhere in there is where I believe it is, which is old uh, Babylon. <laughs> I don't know if y'all knew that or not, but that's Iraq is uh, what where Babylon was. It's the structure is already built from what I saw. And basically, they're trying to bring together um, Muslims, Jews, Christians, uh, all the religions of the world. They're trying to bring bring them together into into one religion. Now, I'm not saying that that is the fulfillment of what we're reading here. Again, we don't know that. But as I've said many times through this study, it's interesting what... Right, it is a very, very large facility. It multi-story buildings, and so um, it is a, it's a very, very interesting thing to look at. And so, if you want that link and you want to look at some of that, ask Tara or Tammy, and they can show you where it is. But, um, but anyway, the point being is this: in Revelation seventeen, we're looking at this one-world religion that all of these religions are going to come around, and basically, it is going to be a prostitute that that God calls it. And God is going to bring judgment down upon it. And that's what chapter 17 was about. Now when we get into chapter 18, we're still getting into this, um, this same prostitute, if you will. The only difference is we're not as much looking at her religion anymore as much as we're looking at her one-world economy. And so under the head of this Antichrist during this time, we're going to have a one-world religion that develops. And then we're also going to have a one-world economy that develops. And you remember, I don't remember what chapter it was, maybe Revelation 13, I think. But um, it told us that if the people don't receive the mark of the Antichrist, they're not going to be able to buy or sell without this. And so we can see how all of these pieces tie together and we can kind of see the structure of how this is going to be able to develop. But if you'll notice that in um, Revelation chapter 18, Verse 1 through 3, you're going to see that we're still talking about this same woman or this same prostitute of Revelation chapter 17. Notice, uh, first off, go back with me to 17.1. I want want to show you a little bit about her first. 17 verse 1, it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. And so one of the first things we learn about this woman that we read about throughout 17 is that she was a prostitute. So remember that. In 17 verse 4, skip down with me to there. Another thing we learn about this woman. This woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. So here's another thing that we learn about this woman is that she was she's a rich woman. So this is a very prosperous religion. This is not a, a poor religion. This is something that you're going to see is a very rich religion. If you'll notice, it says that she was arrayed in purple and scarlet and those are colors of, of royalty, if you will. Those are colors of um, prominence. And so she is going to be a very well-known and a very uh, much-loved and exalted Woman. And so another thing we learn in 17 verse 5, it says, On her forehead was written the name of mystery, Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and mother of earth's abominations. Now what does it mean to be the mother of something? I and mean, You give birth to it, right? It means that this is your baby. And so what you have here is that this woman is the mother of all false religions. So. All the false religions of the world culminate into this false religion. And then she is going to be the mother of all abominations. And so all the sins of the world and all the evil of the world is going to culminate in this woman and her economy and everything about her. And then we notice in 17 verse 6, And I saw the woman. She was drunk with the blood of the saints. How do you get drunk on something? What do you have to do to get drunk on something? got to drink a lot of it, right? got to take in a lot of it. And so basically, this is a woman that has murdered many Christians. And you also remember that in this final religion, if they do not worship the Antichrist, what happens to them? They die. And so this is a woman that basically has drunk much blood and all of the false religions that have killed the saints throughout the years, it all culminates into this one mother of All false religions, if you will. And then go to 17 verse 15 for a minute. Chapter 17 verse 15. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. Alright, so we got this picture of a woman. She's a prostitute and she is seated on many waters. But the waters represent people Nations, multitudes, tongues, um, all the peoples of the world. And so what does a seat do for you? Holds you up. It supports you. And so ultimately, this prostitute is held up and supported by much of the world. Multitudes, many people, many nations. Another thing we see in this picture in chapter 17 verse 18, notice it says, "...and the woman that you saw..." is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. And so, not only is this woman uh, pictured as a, a false religion and a system of false religion, but it is also a particular city which will be the capital of this false religion. So, one of the reasons why it is symbolically called Babylon is because Babylon was one of the, if not the, chiefest of all sinful cities. And so we have this, um, not only that, but I told you last week that the very start of all false religion, the very start of all sinfulness and self-exaltation of man started at the tower of Babel, the city of Babel, which later became Babylon. And if you do any research on that, there's a big hole in the ground where the city of where the tower of Babel used to be, and so you can do a little bit of research on that. But basically, you remember what they said? They said, "Let us come together and let us build a city as to make a name for ourselves. Let us uh, build a tower whose height reaches into the heavens, so that we will be a great city and a great people." And ultimately, they were all about self exaltation but not with God. They were coming together because they wanted to make a name for ourselves. We want to become great ourselves. Now this was in Genesis chapter 11. And you remember, remember what happened right after that in Genesis chapter 12? You go to the very next chapter and what does God do? He calls Abraham. And what does He tell Abraham to do? Come out of your city, come out of your father's house, come out of all the things that you belong to and you love, and I will lead you to a nation where I will make you a great nation, and I will make your name great, and you shall be great, and you shall be blessed, and through you all the nations of the earth. So in other words, God turns it around. In Babel, we see that the people come together and they want to exalt self outside of God. And they want to be their own God. They want to live their own lives. They don't want God... It is the start of rebellion, absolute rebellion against God. And what does God do? A lot of people think that God divided their languages and He split them up because He was afraid that they was going to build a a city into the heavens. Was that what God was worried about? No. Matter of fact, He said very plainly, as Chris mentioned last week, God said, let us go down and see the city that they have built. In other words, as big as God is, and God says, i got to go down there just to see this great tower that they have built. And so that was not God's concern. What was God's concern? That if mankind comes together in the purpose of self-exaltation and they accomplish that, what hope is there for them? There is none. And God stops it and He divides their languages and He divides the people all and spreads them all across the world so that they're not able to come together as one for self-glory and for self-exaltation and for self-worship. And then he takes one man in Genesis chapter 12 and he calls him out of all of that and he says, go follow me, trust me, and I will make you great. I will make you a great... And then through you and through the faith that you have, as they follow this, you will be a great nation and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. So you see the difference... So when you study Genesis 11 and Genesis chapter 12, there's a reason why God put Genesis 11 before Genesis chapter 12. He wanted you to see the difference there. But now we have that same thing that started in Babel and we move over into Revelation and at the end of it, what began in Babel comes to a culmination as the world of self-exaltation, the world of rebellion against God comes to a head. And it reaches its climax, if you will. And now, instead of doing what He did on Bible, what is God going to do? He's going to judge it. And He's going to destroy it. It's time for all rebellion to be destroyed. He's going to start with the world religion, and then He's going to move over into the world economy, and all of it is going to fall. But again, it is both a system of religion, and it is also, according to 18 a specific capital city of some kind, maybe like Babel or maybe like Babylon or maybe who knows where this capital city will be. Some believe it will be Rome because they believe the Antichrist will rise up and reign over Rome. All of that is speculation as far as I know. I can't find anything that can pinpoint exactly who the Antichrist is going to be or where he's going to rule. But we do know that he is going to be the head of all of this false religion, right? He is going to be the head of all of this false and this world economy. And so it is not only going to be a system, but it is also going to be in a specific place, in a specific city that is going to be in this time a great city in some way like Babylon was. And so when we get to chapter 18, we're still talking about this same woman, but again, we're moving from religion, the harlot, the prostitute, over to her economy, over to how the and the people's response to God's judgment on this economy. So notice in um, Revelation 18, let's start in verse one. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with His glory. And so again, this is just another massive angel and a beautiful angel that that displays the glory of God in such a way that His brightness covers the earth. And that's just one angel that we have here. But then notice in verse 2 what it says, And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. And so I want you to notice here the reason why we know we're still talking about the same woman. Notice the pronouns that he uses right here. In verse 2 he says, She has become. Why is he still calling her a sheep? because he's still talking about the same thing he was talking about in Revelation chapter 17. We're not moving into something different. We're still covering this same prostitute, this same harlot that was a world religion, a false religion that culminated from all of the false religions of the world coming together as one. And then we're talking about her economy in chapter 18. Notice that she is still unclean. Notice he says that she has become a dwelling place for demons, and so she is still unclean. She is still sexually immoral. The world still follows her and grows riches from her, and grows rich from her immorality. And we're going to see those things here in just a minute. But go with me to verse three, and you'll see a bit of it. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Again, still talking about the prostitute. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living, luxurious living. Again, you remember in chapter 17, she was adorned with scarlet. She was adorned with um, purple. She had gold and silver, and, and she had all these precious jewels. And so it was describing the richness of this lady. And the people that follow this religion are probably going to prosper worldly as a result of it. And you're going to see that as we continue to go through this. And that makes sense because again, if you don't worship the Antichrist, you receive death on the one hand. If you do re-worship him, you're able to buy, you're able to sell, you're able to be a part of this world economy. And so it's very understandable that people are going to be able to prosper under... This, um, this prostitute's economy. But now, I want you to go with me now to um, Revelation chapter 11 verse 8 for just a minute. Because just like I told you the other prostitute or the prostitute was a false religious system but also a specific city in the same way this economy is also going to be a world system but it is also going to be have a capital place to where all the kings of the earth support this city and this economy grows as a result of this, this unity that we have in the world around this. So in Revelation chapter 11, verse um, verse 8, I want you to notice that it says, and it's talking about Jerusalem here, and it's talking about the, um, the dead witnesses. You remember the two witnesses of chapter 11? um. There were two supernatural witnesses that God allowed to preach for ministry during this time. And no one was able to hurt them, but at a certain time when their ministry was done, God allowed the Antichrist to be able to kill these two. All right, And their dead bodies, notice in verse 8, will lie in the street of the great city, and he's talking about Jerusalem here, that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. So where was Jesus crucified? Jerusalem, outside the gates, right? But symbolically, it's called Sodom and Egypt because in the end times, Jerusalem turns into the what I believe here is likely the Antichrist headquarters possibly. But it is symbolically called Egypt and Sodom because again, those were two very evil places. Very sin-influenced places. And then in the same way, I believe whenever we get over to chapter 18, what we're dealing with is another symbolic Babylon. I don't believe that Babylon necessarily is going to be the capital city or the great city during this time. I believe this is a symbolic thing. Now, is it possible that Babylon could rise from the ashes? Because again, Babylon was destroyed and God said all throughout the Old Testament that it would never be inhabited again. So that's one reason why I don't believe that when Revelation 18 calls this thing Babylon, I don't believe he's talking about the actual city of Babylon coming back. However, Saddam Hussein did rebuild Babylon. Now, it was not inhabited. Uh, Whenever we invaded, the United States went over there. That's where we set up capital. That's where we set up base was in uh, Saddam Hussein's rebuilding of Babylon. It was never inhabited by anyone because by the time Saddam Hussein got the walls of it built, we were coming in. And so you can look that up and you can take a YouTube tour through it if you want to. But Saddam rebuilt Babylon and there are actually old bricks in it that have Nebuchadnezzar's name inscribed in them and things that Nebuchadnezzar said and old uh, scriptures and things included in it. But... And then in the same way Saddam put his own bricks in there with his own name and his own writings in it, but he saw himself as a reincarnated Nebuchadnezzar. And so he was trying to bring Babylon back to its original glory. Well again, the problem with that is that if we're interpreting scripture right, God said it's never going to be re- uh, it's never going to be inhabited again. So I'll give you a few scriptures to be able to see that. Look with me at um Isaiah chapter 13. If I go too fast and and you're not understanding something, slow me down and ask me a question, all right? Isaiah chapter 13, look at verse 19 through 20. It says, "...and Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans, will be like Sodom and Gomorrah when God overthrew them. It will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherds will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there, and their houses will be full of howling creatures." There, ostriches will dwell, and there, wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in the pleasant palaces. Its time is close and, and and at hand, and its days will not be prolonged. So again, Isaiah had already prophesied the overthrow of Babylon, which did come, but he also said that it'll never be inhabited again. And how many of you know it's interesting that it has not been inhabited again? And isn't it interesting that when Saddam built walls, built palaces, and actually built the city back, that before it was able to be inhabited, even by Saddam himself, that the United States came in and set up base there, and that's where the, the, the war took place. Um, so anyway, it's interesting to me, and you can look some of that up if you get home tonight night and want, need something to help you sleep. But then go with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 50 for another place where you see this at. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 39. We'll start there. It says, Therefore, wild beasts shall dwell with hyenas in Babylon, and ostriches shall dwell in her. She shall never again have people, nor be inhabited for all generations. As when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighboring cities, declares the Lord, so no man shall dwell there, and no son of man shall sojourn there. Behold, a people comes from the north, a mighty nation, and many kings are stirring from the farthest parts of the earth. And you could go on and on and on. But anyway. The point being is that I don't believe that when we read in Revelation chapter eighteen about Babylon the Great, I don't believe as some people do that Babylon is going to reemerge and that that's going to be the capital of the Antichrist, if you will. Now again, could we be misinterpreting this somehow? And, and yes, possibly, but I believe more than likely when you get to Revelation chapter chapter eighteen. What you're dealing with is a symbolic Babylon. What you're dealing with is a world system that is like Babylon. And remember, Babylon was full of splendor. She was the prince of all cities. Uh, One of the seven wonders of the world, the the hanging gardens of Babylon were were found in this place. And so Babylon was a very rich, very luxurious uh, city and I believe that you're going to see this prospering begin to take place because of this one world economy and because of this false religion. And God's going to allow it to come to a head and whenever it turns to try to destroy Israel, as we read about in Revelation chapter 16, I believe that's when He's going to come down and set feet down on Mount Zion and He's going to destroy it all in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, if you will. Um, Actually, you could have went from Revelation chapter 16 all the way to Revelation chapter 19. Because in 16, we end with Jesus touching down on Mount Zion. And then in 19, we get the continued story. But the reason why we have chapter 17 and 18 is because before God does that, He shows you a picture of the activity that is going to be going on in the earth during that time. Specifically... He wants you to see that all of these religions are going to culminate into one religion, a false religion that is a mother of all false religions, and this economy and all of the world's economy and all of the self-exaltation and the self-glorying is going to culminate together into one world economy where the people that are involved in it will prosper and they will enjoy luxurious living from it. If you look at verse um, 4, notice what he says here. Then I heard another voice from heaven. And what I did was I broke this thing down into four different voices in this chapter. Four different voices and I wanted to look at what each one of these voices said about this one world economy and what is going to take place in her judgment. And so, the first voice, if you will, was a voice of judgment. And we saw it in verse 2. Notice what he said. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable thing. And ultimately, again, what we're looking at here is we're looking at some Old Testament reference here of the first uh, destruction of Babylon. And basically what he's saying is you're going to see it again. In the same way that God destroyed that first system is the same way that God is going to come back and destroy this system. And it is going to be leveled to a place of a haunt for every unclean thing. And it is full of nothing right now. It says she has become a dwelling place for demons. And you remember in the... Um, fifth or the sixth trumpet, if you've went through this study with us. I believe it was the fifth Fifth trumpet. Hell opened up and belched and out of hell came all the demonic activity that there was there and it was unleashed onto all the earth. And so during this time, we're looking at so much demonic activity in this world system that, that it has culminated to the worst of the worst. And so... Judgment is inevitable is basically what he's saying in this first voice. Judgment is inevitable. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. The one that was such a great city. The one that was so luxurious. The one that um, had the the great false religion that the whole world culminated on. uh, The one that was bringing all nations together under one headship. This great city has fallen because she has culminated to nothing but to, to just absolute demonic sexually Im, sexual immorality and a love of riches and a love of self-exaltation. That's the system that is going to be judged and I believe it's going to begin in a specific city that is like Babylon the Great where the Antichrist will reign. And then I want you to notice in the second voice. Uh, go with me again to verse 4 again. That's where we were. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying... Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped as high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Now again, we're still talking about her here, right? Her sins are heaped high as heaven. Her iniquities are, are great. Um, and so we're still talking about the same prostitute, the same world system, and we're looking at her riches and her economy of it. But he says to the people of God, this voice calls out and this voice calls for a separation from Babylon and all of her sinfulness that has heaped all the way up to the heavens and her... Um, come out of her unless you take part of her sins. Heaped as high as heaven. I'm sorry, that's all that's in this one. And so again, he calls out of this system all of the people of God to make sure that you don't... I guess what I'm trying to say or what this is trying to say is this. He's not telling us to become like the Amish here. He's not telling us to come out of the world in such a way that we try to separate ourselves completely from it. Because again, He calls us to be lights in the midst of darkness, right? He calls, to be, calls us to be witnesses to a dark world. And so during this time, and even now, during this, this Babylonian system is here right now. It's going to climax to what we're reading about right here. But in the same way that He calls them out of it is the same way that He calls us to come out of it and be you separate. And actually, all He's doing right here is quoting Isaiah. Isaiah told him the same thing told him to come out of this world system to repent and to be a part and to to be separate from all of it. So what exactly is he saying? Well, the best way I've ever heard it explained is like this. The Bible tells us to be in the world but not of the world. Now, what does that mean? That's right. I put it to you like this. That's right. If you have a boat Do you want your boat to be in the water? Well, that's what a boat does, right? But do you want your boat to be of the water? There's a big difference, ain't there? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Do not get so attached to the things of this world and don't get so attached to the system and to the luxurious living and to all the things of this world that you get caught up into her sins. And so you have to be in the world, but you don't want to be of the world. There needs to be something different about you. There has to be. There has to be a different love in you. You don't love the same things the world loves. You're not You're not caught up in the same luxuries that that, that they are caught up in. There is a difference in the way that you live and what you're living for. And so, this is another reason why Jesus told His disciples when He was talking to them about the end of days, He told them, remember Lot's wife. You know why? Because that was the problem with Lot's wife. She was both in the world and of the world. And because she was of the world, when the judgment of the world came, what did she do? She looked back. Why did she look back? Because she loved what was being destroyed. And what we have to understand is we're called to come out from this, to be separate from this, to live in such a way that the people see that we're living for something different. Now again, does that mean that we can't have... Houses and we can't have cars, and does that mean that we can't have um, uh, that our kids can't have toys and that we can't have toys? Is that what it means? No. What it means is this is that those things do not, is not where my love is. Those things are not where my focus and my gaze is. That's not what I live for. What I live for is this right here what we're doing. We're preparing for what's coming next. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I love Harley-Davidson's. Love them. Love riding motorcycles. I mean, it's just something, out of all my loves, out of everything that I enjoy doing in this world, there's nothing else I can do that I can get on the road and I can literally just let everything go and I could drive and the further I go, the better it gets. You get 400 miles behind you, let's go another 100. You get 500 miles behind you, let's go another 100. We could just go and go and go. And the worst part about the trip... Now, I'm not saying that I don't want to get back to my family, all right? That's not what I'm saying. But the worst part about the trip is whenever you have to think to yourself, man, i got to turn this bike around and I've got to go back because you just want to keep going. You just want to see what's next and you want to get... Get to this place and cross over this border and you want to get in this state and get in this state. And But as much as I love that, I actually tell God, I've actually told God this before many times. I say, God, there ain't going to be nothing like the Harley Davidsons you got in heaven. And I cannot wait. If this is the kind of enjoyment I get out of just a glimpse of what you give me down here, I cannot wait until the day that I stand in Your presence and see Your glory and get to experience all the things that You have prepared for those who love You that the Bible says I had never seen, ear had never heard, it's never even entered into the heart of man, the things that I have prepared for those who love the Lord. And when I think about that, that's the reason why we come together and we do this. We prepare people for that day so that they're looking forward to that Go with me, I'll show you an example of it in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, go with me to verse... We'll start in verse 8. Because this is exactly what he's talking about (coughs) when he says, be in the world, but not of the world. Because how many of you know Abraham was a rich man? Very rich man. Very blessed man in this world. But notice that was not where his focus was. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, let's start in verse 8 and we'll go through verse 10 and then skip a few. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he went to live in the land of promise in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And then skip down with me to verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return to it. But as it were, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And so again, what is the difference in someone who is in the world, but not of this world? Primarily, they can be in this world, but their life is not centered around the things of this world. Are they still having to have the things of this world? Do they still enjoy the things of this world? Absolutely. But they do not take priority over what our focus is on and what we're headed toward. Like I said, I love to get on that Harley Davidson. But when I'm on it, I can't help but think, I can't wait to see what what joys you have for me in the land that is to come. I cannot wait to get there and see what it's going to be like to actually be in your presence and to see the things that display your glory. Because when I look at this creation, this is awesome. I can't imagine what you have prepared in perfection. So again, whenever we look at this, we're seeing that we're called to be separate from this world. To be in the world but not of the world. To be in the world, but not partake of the sins of the world. And you're going to see more specifically what those things are as we go on down through here. But go back with me to Revelation chapter 18 again. And notice in verse... um, We'll go ahead and read verse uh, 6 through 8. But notice it says, "...pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds, mix a double portion for her in the cup that she mixed. And there it's just talking about the cup. Remember, she was drunk with what? The blood of the saints. And now it's saying, the judgment that's coming, pay it back double. Whatever it is that she has took in blood of the saints and what she has done to the people of God, pay her back double. And then in verse 7 it says, As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. Now to better understand that, again, I want to show you how to go back to the Old Testament and find this stuff. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 47. Remember, she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. What is she talking about here? Go to Isaiah 47. Because all John is doing is using Old Testament Scripture here to point it out to you. Isaiah 47, verse 7 through 9. And we're talking about the destruction of Babylon. And it's been prophesied to Babylon, but Babylon don't believe it. And so these are the things that Babylon said back in the day of Jeremiah and Isaiah. Isaiah 47, beginning in verse 7. You said, I shall be mistress forever, so that you did not lay these things to heart or remember therein. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures, who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. And in verse 9 he says... These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. And here, the sorceries is the word which we translate today pharmacy or pharmakia is the Greek word for it. And pharmacies do what? What do pharmacies do? And so whenever the Bible is talking about sorceries, many times it's talking about people under the influence and and people that are, are not of sober mind in some way or another. But now go with me to Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. And Lamentations is where Jeremiah actually is watching the Babylonian captivity and he is prophesying to both Israel, Judah, or to Judah and Babylon. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. Notice what he says here. How lonely sits the city that was full of people! How like a widow she has become! She who was great among the nations! She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave! She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks among all her lovers. She has none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies." And this specifically is talking about Judah. But again, the point being is this. Babylon was this great city that was so full of luxuries and so full of worldly things that it thought it would never be brought down, that it would never experience sorrow. It was too great and it was too big. To ever experience anything like this, and then in Lamentations chapter one, and and actually Isaiah told them it's coming in a single day. It's coming, and then in chapter one we know that's what he's talking about because he describes Judah as that away. Once Judah is destroyed, all right. So again, that's the way we interpret it when we go back to Revelation chapter eighteen and we read verse seven again. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, that's what Babylon did, remember? So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. So again, all he's doing is he's taking you back to the old Babylon and now he brings you forward to the spiritual Babylon, if you will, and He shows you that the same thing that happened to the old Babylon and the judgment that fell on it is the same thing that is going to happen to this world system. And the voice calls to the people of God and says, come out from among her. You do not want to be part of, of her focus on life, of the, way, of the things that she lives for, of the things that she partakes in. You want to be in the world, but you don't want to be of the world. Why? because this is what's coming to her. She's going to receive a double portion of of torment as compared to the portion of luxurious living that she lived in. And so you do not want to be a part of the judgment that is coming because her sins are heaped as high as heaven. She is full of abominations and full of sexual immorality. And this is what she looks like. And so then in verse 8 it says... For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death, and again, that's what Isaiah said, right? In a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And then in verse 9, we get the the third voice. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning." So there you see the the third voice. The first voice was the angel declaring the destruction coming. The second voice was the second angel that declared come out from among her because of this, this destruction is coming. The third voice are the voices of the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality with her and they lived in luxury with her. And the, when they see her destruction, what's their voice going to be doing? Weeping and wailing over her when they see the smoke of her burning. So in other words, in the same way that we see Lot's wife. Now Lot and his daughters, their focus was getting out of this destruction, right? I do not want to be a part of what is going down over here. Their focus is getting out. Our mindset needs to be the same way. But the problem is, these kings of the earth and all the people that hold up this prostitute, the multitudes, the nations, the languages, they are so in love with it. They are so in love with their, with their luxuries of the world and their self exaltation that when this thing, this system, comes crumbling down, they stand back and they weep and wail. And what we see here is God actually allows the people of the world to see the thing come down before they are destroyed, if I'm interpreting it correctly. And I believe I am. And then it says in verse 10, it says, they stand far off in fear of her torment. And so they stand in great fear because they see the torment that's happening to this system that they love so much. And they say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And then along with the voices of the kings, they join them in verse 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her. So you see how we know that the second part of this in chapter 18 is talking about the world economy? He's talking about the riches and the luxury of her, and he goes into the merchants and the people that are buying and selling and trading during this time. And he says here that the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Verse 12, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth. There again, what I believe he's talking about here is a system, a Babylonian system. Not just a specific city like some people interpret. Like one of my favorite people, me and Vance both, and and, uh, um, Chris. I'm sorry, I forgot your name for a minute there. (laughs) But, right, well, we love John MacArthur. I mean, we love him. He interprets this as as a specific city. Um, I believe this is talking about a system. Again, because it's still talking about that woman and what was she clothed in? She was clothed in scarlet. She was clothed in purple. And now here we have those things that are part of the system right here. And so I believe that what we're seeing is the world economy, the world Babylonian system being judged and coming crumbling down. And as a result of it, the people that have gained from this and they have been invested their whole life in it, and their whole world, like Lot's wife, has been about everything that's been taking place in this system, they are weeping, and they are wailing, and they are tormented. And so again, this is the reason why the warning of the voice comes to us that says, my people, come out of her. Be part be part in it, but don't be part of it. You have to live in it. You have to be a light in it. But don't, don't get so mixed up in it that this world becomes your priority. That that's what you live for, is for the things of this world, for self-glory, self-exaltation, and for having things in this world. If that's what it takes to have things, can I just tell you, you're better off not having nothing? You're better off not having nothing. And so that's the warning here. And then in verse uh, 13, it names some more things. Cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, slaves, that is human souls or human beings, some versions translate. But again, they're, they're losing everything. And so as a result of this, they're weeping and wailing. And then in verse 14, The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. So why are they weeping and wailing? Because that's what their life was all about. Everything, yeah, Their whole world is being destroyed. They have nothing left. And let me tell you something. If you and I lose everything tomorrow, like, the, like, like Job, we lose everything tomorrow, we should be able to stand with Job and say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. We should be able to say with Job, naked I came from the womb, and naked I'm leaving out of this world. I didn't bring nothing in, I ain't taking nothing out. And we ought to be able to say that. But these guys cannot say that. Why? Because their whole hope and everything about them is caught up in this world. And he says here, you be careful. Remember Lot's wife. Look at the judgment that is coming on this world system. Don't be so caught up in this thing that when the destruction of it comes and you lose everything tomorrow, that all of your hope is gone. If that happens... There's a problem with your faith. There's a problem with your faith. Now go with me again to verse 15. These merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood afar off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, cried aloud, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. And then in verse 20, we get the last voice. you give me just a minute, we'll get through this. uh, The last voice, the voice number four. Notice the next voice. says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. And those of you that have gone through this study with us, you remember in the sixth seal, when the sixth seal was opened, there were voices that came from under the altar that said, How long, Lord? How long before You give us... Vengeance for them taking our blood and shedding our blood. And this was the martyrs of the faith and the people that had been killed as a result of their faith in Christ. And notice here in verse 20, he finally tells them, Rejoice. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given for you. God has given judgment. For who? For you. This is your vengeance that you have prayed for. And he's took it out against her. And then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, so will be Babylon the great city. And if, if you were to go back to Jeremiah, go with me real quick. We'll stop there. Go back with me to Jeremiah. I think it's chapter 50. I want you to notice how Jeremiah ended his prophecy against them. I can find it. It's talking about throwing... No, look at... Yeah, 51, I'm sorry. 51 verse um, 61. Or actually, it's verse 60. Start there. Jeremiah wrote in a book all the disaster that should come upon Babylon. All these words that are written concerning Babylon. And Jeremiah said to Sarai, When you come to Babylon, see that you read all these words, and say, O Lord, you have said concerning this place that you will cut it off, so that nothing shall dwell in it, neither man nor beast. It shall be desolate forever. And when you finish reading this book, tie a stone to it and cast it into the midst of the Euphrates, and say, Thus shall Babylon sink to rise no more, because of the disaster that I am bringing upon her, and they shall become exhausted. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah. And that's the same thing we see happen that the mighty angel does in Revelation chapter 18 verse 21. It says, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And there's no going to be any sound of harpists, musicians, flute players, no craftsmen, uh, no sound of the mill grinding. Uh, the light of the lamp will shine in you no more, just darkness. The voice of the bridegroom and the bride will be heard in you no more, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And there again, the same word, pharmakia, um, their drug abuse. So don't think it's coincidence that the biggest issue today in mankind seems to be opioid addictions and alcoholism and drug addictions and heroin addictions of various kinds. All nations were deceived deceived by your sorcery and in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. So again, I close with this. This system that symbolically is called Babylon, can go back to the Old Testament and you can see all the reasons why we call it Babylon then. You can look at her sinfulness and her sexual immorality and her luxurious living and her love of all things great, wanting to be great in and of herself. Um, Not just wanting to keep up with the Joneses, but wanting to be the Joneses. And so you see this in... Babylon and you're going to see the same mentality and this same system develop and it's going to climax under a one world economy. But there's coming a day when he says in a single hour in a single day when this entire system is going to be brought down. Now why does he want us to see that? I believe because he wants to make sure that we hear the warning. Come out from among her and be ye separate. Be in the world but not of the world. Don't get so caught up in the things of this world that that's your focus, that that's what you're living for, that that's what your hope is in, and that's what it's all about. You need to be able to keep your focus like the people of faith did on the promise of God that we're looking for a city whose foundations are made by God Himself, not a city that is going to be destroyed. We are looking away from this, and we're looking forward the city that is coming. And the Bible says that God is not ashamed to be your God if that is the case. And so it is my prayer that all of us can examine our lives and make sure that that God and growing in Him and focusing on Him and moving toward Him is the priority of our lives so that we can see the evidence that we have came out from among them. And again, I hate to say that because there are so many people today that are saying we've all got to be one and we've got to be unified and we've got to all come together. Wrong. No, as I told you last week, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. And He's the Prince of Peace. He came to bring peace between sinners and God. But He did not come to bring peace between all men. He said, I came to bring a sword. I came to bring a sword between brothers and sisters and mothers and daughters and fathers and sons. And ultimately what He's talking about is that either you are following Him in His ways or you are not one with the rest of this world. I'm sorry, they had a prayer walk last night on the square that the focus was about um, was about us all coming together and, and I saw many of the LGBTQ and so many of the other people of the community being a part of it and wanting to everybody to just be one and wanting Christians to come together. I'm sorry, I can't walk with you. I can't. Do I hate you? No, I don't hate you. Matter of fact, I want you to see the truth. I want you to come out from among them the same way that I've had to do. I want you to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But the truth of the matter is, if you're walking this way and I'm walking this way, can we walk together? We can't. And so we have to come out from among them and we have to be separate. We have to be lights of the world, but not part of the darkness of this world. We have to be in the world, but not of the world. Any questions? All right. Thank y'all for your time and attention again. Um, next week, I think I hadn't looked ahead, but I think we're going to be getting into either the just the coming of Christ when He touches down and what happens, or the millennial reign. I can't remember where we'll be, but come back next week and we'll do it again wherever we're at. Can we do a business meeting? <laughs> Is it time? It is. All right. So next Wednesday will be business meeting then. Yeah. Hey, we moved them to quarterly. Uh, so I mean, you know, we, we're not doing them every month like we were. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll take a time off to do a business meeting. So next Wednesday will be that. Yes, sir. I love you too, buddy. Love you too, buddy. All right. Let's go, Lord, in prayer and you'll be dismissed. Father we thank you so much for your word again. We thank you for your warnings of judgment. We thank you God that um Lord we get to see vivid pictures of what's going to be the end of even the the richest and even the 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 people that enjoy life the most here, Father. If that was what their life was about, then Father, if they've not been looking for that city that is coming, then Lord, then they're going to be part of this destruction. Father, I thank you God that you warn us, that you show us that in the end we can't lay up treasures where it's all going to uh, be destroyed or thieves will break in as steel or moth and rust destroy. Father, I just thank You, God, that, uh, Lord, You give us wisdom to be able to lay up treasures in heaven. And Father, I pray, God, that that would be our focus. Father, I pray that we would be growing in You, that we would be ministering for You, that You would be our top priority. And Father, that every day we're laying up treasures in our eternal kingdom that You have prepared for us. Father, I pray that you would help us to see areas where we still need to come out from among this Babylonian system and be separate from her. Father, I pray, God, for Christians who think that they can walk together with uh, and be in unity with sinfulness. Father, I pray, God, that they would see that, um, Lord, there is no way that can happen. And Father, I pray that we can learn to be in the world, but not of the world. Father, I pray that we can learn to be witnesses and lights in the world, but not to be part of the darkness. Father, I pray that our church will be, will be separate from the world. Father, I pray, God, that um, the influences of the world will not become part of this church whatsoever. Father, I pray that the truth is taught, the truth is, truth is lived out. Father, I pray that we would be found faithful to You and You alone. And Father, I pray that You would help us to do that in a way that is not hateful, that is not trying to, um, uh, Lord, to uh, isolate ourselves from this world. Father, I pray, God, that You would help us to do it in a way that pleases You in a way that brings sinners to know You, God. And Father, I just thank You again tonight for this group of people that's here. Father, I pray they've heard Your Word, and I pray, God, that they can find a way to apply it to their life some way or another. Father, we love You. We give You all the praise for everything You do in our lives. God, we we just ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.